I'm excited that you made this a priority today. I'm excited that you chose to come and, and to be able to meet with God's people. Some of you are newer. Some of you have been here for, oh, almost 10,000 years. But others are newer, newer to the walk and newer to a community. But we meet here every Sunday in order to worship and to pray. And to be able to praise and open up God's word so that we might be able to understand a little bit more of who God is. A little bit more of why God has us here on this planet. You know, we are teaching families to know and obey and enjoy Christ. So we could be salt and light. So that we might be able to well, make a difference in our world. We just got through singing a song. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I'm not sure if you're there. But it is something, again, as you spend time with our God. You find a connection. You find a dependence. You find a great joy. We've been spending time in the Gospel of John, spending time with Jesus. This feisty apostle shared his perspective near the end of his life. But John had an agenda. And we've shared this agenda with you. And, and in some of the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, some of them are a little bit more historical. Some of those were, were actually all of them were written a little bit closer to the, to the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. John's Gospel was written a long time after. And John, as you know, was... a uh, Apostle who loved the Lord with all of his heart. And, and near the end of his life, he's reflecting on Jesus. And he is still so excited about who Jesus is and the difference that Jesus made in his life that he shared at the end of his gospel presentation the whole reason that he wrote this is that we might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. So this is somewhat chronological, and it's somewhat um, different than the other synoptic gospels, but John's whole passion, seriously, I just want you guys to know this is God's son. He is the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for. He is the one you go to for life. There is life found in no other person. He's more fiery about this message than he's ever been. He focused on his Jesus, his loving Savior, the one who became flesh and showed us who God is and what God looks like. Because Jesus is God. So for the last few weeks, we've been opening up John, and each week we watch Jesus and we learn from Jesus. At the end of our time last week, 
in chapter 2, verses 23, 24, and 25. There were some people that started to believe. There were folks that started to recognize who Jesus was and, and that he was so very different and his miracles pointed to God. But Jesus made this statement. And he said this, I really know what goes on in the heart of men. I know some of these folks are probably just on the bandwagon right now. It's just kind of the cool thing. Hey, I've done some miracles, and they desire to follow me. And then what John does beautifully is piggyback on this one statement. I know who humans are. And for the next three weeks, this week included, we're going to be focusing just a little bit on, well, three different people. Three different people that Jesus just met and three different people that Jesus could understand where their hearts are and that God alone could satisfy their thirst. Today we hang out with Christ and with Nicodemus. We're going to learn more about Jesus and more from Jesus. I've asked Rob Reed to read our text. If you would, um, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible or a flat screen, you can look up on the screen. But Rob, would you read for us John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. There was a man named Nicodemus, the re Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us the miraculous signs and evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can a man, old man, go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going so too you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't, you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. 
and the judgment and this judgment is based on the, this fact God's light came into the world but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil all who hate evil all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for their fear their sins will be exposed but those who do not do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants thank you that was a long text let's pray Father I just thank you that we can come and uh, hear from you today we are so convinced God that this is your word and this is what we need to hear some of us Lord have heard this and read this particular text and known about this particular text for a really long time. And maybe think that we might just know everything that's contained in it. But God, I know that uh, you come fresh, that your spirit is abundantly active, and that you teach each one of us and convict us and encourage us and strengthen us. And each one who is here will hear from you today. Father, we pray for other churches that are right in our area. I think of Northbridge, and I think of Emmanuel, and I think of Chain of Lakes Community Church. And we pray, dear God, for all three of these churches, that as they preach your word and teach your word, that the enemy might be thwarted, and that you might be magnified, and that people's chains might be falling off because they're listening to you. We are so grateful, God, that you love us, that you pursue us, that you've given us your word. And I pray even now, Lord, that you would um, open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, a few things jump out to me in this story. And I'd like to focus on that right before I make some applications. But I do want to at least say this first. Again, if those who have grown up in the church, are so familiar with Nicodemus. We say that even term, and you go, oh, Rick, I, I've just heard that story. You know what I'm going to ask you? Because there's a lot of stories in John that you've probably heard. I'm hoping that you see Nicodemus and who Jesus is with some fresh eyes. And I bet as a result that you will leave here with your hearts really encouraged. I'd like to start off just saying this. Nicodemus would fit in just fine here at Crosspoint. Okay, maybe not what he's wearing. Okay, I, I think he might stick out a little bit there. But the truth is, most of us, if you know this story, might even cower. Say, wait a minute, Rick, I am not Nicodemus. I don't even want to be associated with Nicodemus. But let me put this in context and describe Nicodemus to you before you get too riled up. First of all, we see that Nicodemus was a leader. He was accomplished in his field. He was a top dog. He was also a Pharisee. And so many of us, as later on, especially in Christ's ministry, we put Pharisees, and, and probably justifiably so, in a box. But really, for the most part, Pharisees were highly respected people. They were educated. 
They were moral. They knew God's word and they were involved in the synagogue. They were older. He was older. We don't know how old at this time, but, but to be a Pharisee, you had to go through a whole lot of things. And he also just mentions, even to Jesus, how can I be old and, and get back into my mom's womb? We do know that Nicodemus was curious about Jesus. Again, most of us would, would probably be right there. They've heard a little bit about him. They've seen some of the miracles. If I could just sit down with Jesus, that would be kind of cool. Nicodemus also recognized that Jesus was a teacher, or back in that culture, more or less, a rabbi. Someone who literally gathered students with him and, and lived life with them for two years, or three years, or four years if you were a little slow. But he recognized this, and the miracles confirmed that he was sent by God. You see, rabbis teach about life. They knew the Old Testament well, and they understood what God's law was. But there was one thing that also stuck out. He was afraid to be seen with Jesus. He came at night. He wasn't exactly sure if meeting Jesus would be a wise thing. It seems like life might change a little bit if, for some reason, he met with Jesus. Maybe he would be treated differently, or maybe he would begin to even think differently. Now, if this isn't you, except for maybe the last part, okay, because I, I bet you probably want to really sit down with Jesus, I bet it's someone you'd like to become. Someone at the top of your field. Someone that was advanced. Someone that was sharp. Someone that knew God's word. Someone that could teach God's word. Oh, you know, sign me up. But the problem was, Nicodemus misunderstood the main teaching of the scriptures. Nicodemus was all about learning from a great teacher. He was. He was a student. But he wasn't prepared for the lesson, for the truth that this rabbi was going to speak. You see, Jesus clearly states in verse 3, You will never see the joy of the kingdom, experience the abundant life, living under the reign and the rule of God, unless you are born again. Unless you are reborn unless you are infused with the new life that is given to you by God. Nicodemus thought it was all about him doing. Well, being born is nothing to do with anybody. It's outside of your realm of control. And Jesus shocks him a little bit. And said, you know, you probably want me to hear and expound on some great truths in the Old Testament. I want to talk about the issue, and it's you. You need to be born again. Well, Nicodemus focuses on the how, and he says, well, <laughs> okay, I'm not exactly understanding this whole thing right now. 
I'm supposed to be born from my mother? And Jesus speaks boldly. Now, some of your versions uh, say verily, verily here. All right. Uh, In the one that I'm using, it says, I assure you. But this is Jesus' way to basically highlight and say, hey, if you don't get anything else, Nicodemus, I want you to get this. I've already shared with you, you need to be born again. You need to have a new life. You need to have this infused from the top down. This is not something that you can do. All right? So I'm going to say it a different way. Verily, verily, I assure you, please listen to me. And then Jesus defines what being infused with life above looks like. In verse 5, he literally says this, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Now again, Jesus is not talking about physical birth and spiritual birth. Jesus is literally clarifying here what born again looks like or what it means. And he's saying it emphatically. Although he mentions in verse 3 that you need to be born again, he's defining what born again is here, and he's going to again say it just a few verses later. Hey, you've got to be born again or born from above. You see, this is about repentance. Born of water is literally talking about cleansing. And born of the Spirit, which is believing, which gives you life from above. And what Jesus really was focusing on is that you will never, ever, ever, ever receive life unless you repent. Unless you believe. And this has become real clear in just a moment. And then Jesus questions Nicodemus. In fact, he, he, he's a little calloused at this moment. And down in verse 10, Jesus said this. How? Excuse me. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand what I am talking about? This is new for you, this whole born again thing? You don't understand that it is only God who gives life, whether it be abundant or eternal? You think that you have to earn this type of life? How come you don't get this? Now, he does say you're a respected Jewish teacher, and he did understand the Old Testament because that's basically what they had. But all the way through the Older Testament, and I think many of you at least know this, but we see that God alone gives life, both eternal and abundant. We can go back to just a few quick examples here, but the Passover. Some of you remember the last plague that happened as Moses was trying to free the people through God's power And God said this, I'd like you to put some blood on the doorposts. And this last plague, this last plague will get you out of Egypt because it will be so horrific. But 
I want you to put blood. And if you listen to me, your firstborn won't be killed, and you'll be able to leave and make your way toward the promised land. Listen to me, and you will have life. It's something that is all the way through the scriptures. The Red Sea, he gets to a place. The only way is to listen to God, and God will give life. They eventually get to the promised land. They get to a place filled with milk and honey or, or a promise that, that God says, hey, if you listen to me, I will give you life. Your life will look so different than that slavery that you just experienced. You see, the prophets talked about a future time also. In Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 25, you'll see it up there on the screen if you don't want to turn there. The prophet says this, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. God was all about changing out our hearts, giving us life, setting us up well, not only for today, but for eternity. You see, the scriptures point you to the life giver. They just don't contain good moral teachings. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah. Love the Lord your God and develop a relationship with Him in order to learn from Him how to live abundantly and eternally. Now Jesus really, I don't know if He gets impatient, but He wants to make this message so very, very clear to Nicodemus. And so Jesus makes God's message clear by brilliantly using an Old Testament illustration in order to get his point across. Now, I don't know if any of you have read Numbers recently, but it's, it's one of the books that Moses had written and goes over a lot of history of Israel. And it's actually a rather sad book, but I'm going to eventually get to Numbers 21. Let me just give you a quick scenario of, of what happened and how desperate this situation was. The children of Israel at one time received the Ten Commandments up on Mount Sinai. There were some issues, and they, again, it didn't take long for them to stray, and, and God judged them, but eventually they started to move toward this promised land. Immediately, not long time after, there were some leadership issues. Actually, Miriam and Aaron thought that Moses was too big for his britches. And God uh, affirmed that Moses was his man to do the leading. But there was this kind of division that happened. They finally got to a place very quickly called Kadesh Barnea. And at Kadesh Barnea, that's where Moses sent out 
spies and wanted to see the best way to get into this promised land. Well, 10 of them came back with a rather negative report. Two of them, Caleb and, and Joshua, came back with positive reports. But the bottom line is all the children of Israel rebelled. They said, we don't want to listen to you, God, this promise for this you know, beautiful land across this, this river. I, I, we're just not believing you about this. Not, not at all. And so God said, okay. You don't want abundance. You don't want to live with just unbelievable fruit in cities. I'm going to let you wander in a desert for 40 years. And as he begins, or as Moses begins to lead these people, these rebellious people, into the desert, there's some more leadership issues. You can read through numbers. And you're going to like, are these people kind of dense? And then it hits you and go, oh boy, these people are a little bit like me, you know. But after the leadership issues, the people start complaining. The scripture tells us that they didn't like the route that Moses was taking. They thought it was a bad journey. And so they let Moses know, okay, we're going to wander for a while. And in my head, I'm going, hey, you're wandering for 40 years. What difference does it make which way you go, you know? But it did. And God, at this moment, very early in the journey, in Numbers 21, got ticked. I don't know if you know that God gets ticked. But this is what he did. It's kind of, kind of a, a, a weird thing. But he sent poisonous snakes. I don't know if you like snakes. But I bet you don't like poisonous snakes. And the scripture tells us that these snakes went out all the way through the children of Israel and started biting, and people actually started dying. Oh. Then Moses did this. Go to Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. And this is what the Lord told Moses. Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All those who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Not only be healed, but they would have life. Wow kind of a weird story. It's kind of way back in the Old Testament. And, and, it, and, and then they just kind of move on. All right? But you know, if you're back then, the Jews who were bitten were going to die. Moses put a bronze snake on a pole and told the people that their very lives depended on it. All they needed to do was get to a place, be carried to a spot where they could see the snake. And if they saw the snake, they would get better. They would have life. But the scriptures do, do say that some died. Some died. I'm pretty sure the news went all around the camp as soon as you were bit and you knew that it was going downhill and say, hey, you know what? Moses sent out, you know, an email to everybody. 
All we have to do is get to this spot and look at the bronze snake. Now, I bet some of us at home, man, drag me there, get me there. You know, I, I, no, no problem. But there had to be a few that says, are you kidding me? Really? I'm going to go look at a snake and I'm going to be better. And then all of a sudden, someone would walk in a tent. Hey, no kidding, I just saw the snake, I was bit, I'm well. Oh, come on. Are you serious? That's way too easy. That seems absolutely ridiculous. Why would I get healed by looking at a snake? Well, those that did, they lived. They lived. So Jesus uses this illustration that Nicodemus knew very well. He wasn't getting this God gives life thing. Nicodemus was really good at reading the scriptures and following the rules. But he just saw Jesus as a teacher, not as a savior. So what Jesus said is this, just like the snake Nicodemus, the Son of Man is going to be put on a pole. Put on a pole? What? But this is going to be different. If you look, if you believe, you will have atonement. You will be redeemed. You will have life. You know, there's a reason John 3, 16 and 17 are beloved verses. You see, Jesus was way more than a good teacher. Just about every modern-day religion today will own that Jesus was around and will say that Jesus was a great teacher. There might even be someone sitting right here in this congregation that says, you know what, I believe Jesus was around. I believe, yeah, that, that he had some great words. If we could just listen to Jesus, I bet our society would be better, and, and I'm pretty sure it would. But Jesus was a whole lot more than a teacher. He was a savior. And Jesus, on that very dark night, with Nicodemus looking at him and said, Hey, Nicodemus, you're not getting this, but God loves you so much. You are going to die without him. He is going to send his son. And at that moment, Jesus is doing this. All right. His son. Who's going to go to the cross because he loves you and die in your place. Nicodemus, this is what the Messiah does. The Messiah has come to redeem you and to restore you. 
Do you understand this? God loves. This is the definition of what love is. So he gave up his life. This is the admonition to husbands in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wife like Jesus. Give up your life for your wife. That's God's definition of love, but he showed it. He showed it to all of us. And he's saying, I love you. I love you like crazy. And if you believe, if you believe, if you put your faith in what I did on the cross, you have life. You have an opportunity right now to live abundantly. And someday when you close your eyes, the party begins. Oh, it does. It does. God has every one of you here on this planet for a reason. There's no doubt. But he's looking at Nicodemus. saying, Nicodemus, God loves you. He is going to put the Son of Man up on a pole And if you believe and put your faith in him, in the Messiah, you will have life. For God sent his son in the world not to judge the world. Not to judge the world. Now the world's going to be judged. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to give life. His purpose was to save. His purpose was to change everything. That's why John 3, 16 is an amazing verse. But let me say this. John doesn't say that Nicodemus saw it or responded here. Not that. Now, now granted, he might not have, or he might have. But it just seems John is so passionate about Jesus as his Savior that he I think he would have said something. But Nicodemus, this learned man that understood that Jesus was sent by God, ordained by God, a teacher by God, but that he wasn't the Savior. It doesn't seem like he responded. But you know, it's kind of cool. And we just get a little snapshot. At the very end of John, in John chapter 19 and verses 38 and 39, Jesus is dead. And there's a man named Joseph of Arimathea who wants to bury Jesus in his tomb. Pilate gives him permission. But what you don't remember, many of you, is the guy that went with Joseph to get the body was Nicodemus. And Joseph was literally described as this, a person who had been a secret disciple. He wasn't secret anymore, Joseph. He was a follower. And my guess is it was this that changed Nicodemus' 
life. Now, if we're honest, this is a story again that so many of us have heard, and now we have it a little bit more in context. But what do we learn about Jesus in this text? What is it that that we can go out of here just so very, very grateful? Well, Jesus is much more than a teacher. He is our Savior. And Jesus loves you, and he loves our world, and he offers life no matter what your past is. If you believe. What do we learn? What was modeled for us in the text? You know, it's hard not to look at Nicodemus. And with all of his education and all of the scripture that he knew, that a guy like that might miss the gracious offer of abundant and eternal life. That even right now, there might be people in this culture, 2,000 years later, that have heard all about Jesus and the difference that he makes and that he offers us life and companionship and that we will have him on our journey. There's still people, maybe here, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your office, that see Jesus just as a teacher. You know what? There are a lot of good teachers around. There are. And if you've kind of lived life long enough, you kind of figure out some smart things to do and some dumb things to do. And you could be a teacher. But the truth is this. Is that Jesus came to partner with you to graciously and merciful give you something and me something that we don't deserve. And that is good news. But there are going to be some who do not receive this good news, do not take advantage of it, do not put their faith in Christ, do not own that their sin has separated them from the Almighty God and they're saying, really, Rick? I just need to look up at the cross, the snake. I just need to do that. Yeah. That's what Jesus said. He loved the world that he came to die so that anyone who puts their faith in him will have life. Belief is required. You know, the only way to experience the joy of the kingdom is to be infused from life or with life from above. The only way you will experience what God has intended for each one of you and for me is if I am or you are born again. Jesus said it to this highly educated man three times. You must come to me for life. There is no other way. There's really only two responses. 
and maybe we can make three or four, but, but just two basic ones. One is, if you don't know the Lord, if you're not part of God's family, if you've not recognized the amazing gift that God is offering, you might respond today. And you might say, I need Jesus as Savior today. I want to do that. And you can do that right there in your chair. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to do it. What you need to do is say, you know, Lord, I am a sinner. I've blown it. I am so separated from you. I know even one sin has done that. But I need you as a Savior. I trust what you did on that cross for me. And then way back, we saw in John chapter 1, verse 12, anyone who does that receives Jesus as Savior. They become a son, a daughter of God right there. How cool is that? You start the journey. You start the journey. Or maybe you've known this, uh, this good news for a long time. You know what? We have an opportunity to share it. That's all. No one's going to ask you to knock on doors and be able to hand out tracts or, or stand on a street corner with a megaphone. No, no one's asked you to do that. Because the truth is, is that if you walk with God, your focus in your life is going to be a little different. Your priorities will be different. And you'll have an opportunity to be shared with others where you've received life. You know what our, our opportunity is? Keep pointing people to Jesus. Keep pointing people to Jesus. Just keep pointing people to Jesus. Don't point them to you. You and I screw up way too much. Point them to Jesus. And watch God's love overwhelm them, empower them, encourage them. Give them wings in spite of circumstances. How cool is that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us so much that you went to a cross. Lord, there's uh, all different ways to say thank you. But when we truly understand what you've done for us, we fall on our faces, just overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy and why the Creator God would desire a relationship with us, why you would redeem us and why you would give us an opportunity not to only make a difference here on this planet, but to spend eternity with you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.